There's some good topical stories out there in the world of war and how perilously close we keep coming to World War III kind of starting. Although yes. technically we can name it something else. I'm going to get to that at the end. Okay, I'm intrigued. I've got some good topical news and because we're Journey to the Fringe, we can't just talk about this giant thing going on. We have to talk about the things on the edges of it. And this one is fantastic. Okay. And it involves World War II. Okay. Do you remember what I told you about World War II and the Operation Paperclip episode? You told me lots of things. I told you many things. I'm going to narrow it down. Okay. World War II technically never ended because Japan and Russia never signed a treaty on the Kuril Island. Yeah. This actually dates back further than that. Originally, there was a treaty between Japan and Russia in 1875, where Russia and Japan agreed that Japan would give up all rights to some of the islands and Russia would give up some of the rights to other islands. Immediately off the bat, there was controversy about what islands they'd actually given up and where the line was drawn. To just screw with it all, the official document was written in French. It's just messy to say the least. By who? A French-Russian? I guess. I don't know, they're the Habsburgs back in the day. That's where this controversy really starts off, 150 years ago almost. And then in the Treaty of San Francisco in 1945, where Japan was going to surrender to the Allies, they wrote the treaty and it was signed by 49 nations, including Japan and the U.S. on September 8th, 1951. Except the USSR didn't sign it. The islands which was an issue that they had contention with, especially how it was worded, was one of the reasons they opposed it. Japan signed and ratified, though. And then in 1956, there was a Soviet-Japanese joint declaration, which I find hilarious. This is the declaration. The USSR and Japan have agreed to continue after the establishment of normal diplomatic relations between them Negotiations for the conclusion of a peace treaty. The USSR, in response to the desires of Japan and taking into consideration the interests of the Japanese state, agrees to hand over to Japan and Ho the Hobomai and Shikatan Island, provided that the actual changing over to the Japanese of these islands will be carried out after the conclusion of a peace treaty. Which, he here is being, they had to agree to a peace treaty after. Surprisingly enough, they never came to a peace treaty. They did it, okay. Yeah. So does this have bearings now? Yes, so on March 7th of 2022, the Prime Minister uh -oh. of Japan, Fumio Kishida, declared that the Southern Kuril Islands are a territory peculiar to Japan, a territory in which Japan has sovereignty. I'm sorry, but I gotta love his timing for bringing this up. <laughs> well, on March 8th, Foreign Minister Yoshimasa Hayashi described the four islands as an integral part of Japan, and this is in direct response to the Russian invasion of Ukraine. So he was like, while well, we're at it. The soldiers are on the other side of the country, yeah. <laughs> a very large country, stuck in mud. We're just going to grab these islands. Yoink. Okay. So technically, if a world war did break out and Japan and Russia are fighting on opposite sides, we could call it World War II, part <laughs> two. The players are going to be on very different sides, but in theory, we could. That's pretty crazy. Separated by a cold war in the middle. Interesting. Okay, I like that news. Yeah, I wasn't expecting that. And with that, we can keep talking about war. Yeah, let's do it. From the unexplained to the mundane, come join us on a journey to the fringe. Hello and welcome to Journey to the Fringe, where we ask the hard-hitting fringe questions. Like, is the working man mustachioed hero draped in red and looking to overthrow the dinosaur monarchy, commonly known as Mario, inspired by the sinister character known as Stalin? We don't know, but it's a fringe question, so I think it counts for something. Okay, it counts. Yeah. yeah. Now I'm wondering. There's a lot of themes there that the Japanese need to let us know about. Oh, that ties into our intro. Oh, you did it on purpose. <laughs> Genius. <laughs> We are your hosts, Taylor and Chelsea, and today we're going to focus on a topic that we've already talked a bit about, and that is the idea of war. Now, war is on everyone's mind right now, and with good reason. The world is teetering on a regional war, expanding into a multinational affair, or worse, a world war or a nuclear event. Probably world war would be nuclear event, so one in the other. Oh, God. Fingers are crossed, it's a no. Yeah. Since our duty and oath we swore to you as listeners is not to talk about topics that are from and center, we thought it would be worth discussing weaknesses at our own doorstep that could be exploited at home, how and the likely repercussions of said exploitation. 
Now, not all the things that we will be discussing will be war-based exploitations, and this will not be an exhaustive list, so there will be more things to worry about than what we're going to be talking about. <laughs> so, <laughs> today, let's talk about energy, power, and how fucked we are should anyone or thing catch on that this entire system is held together by flex tape and an effigy of Baron Samedi. Chelsea, I will let you take over the worries we have with power plants. Okay. Spoiler alert. I forgot to say that. <laughs> yeah, power plants. To start off, I'm going to be honest here. You may or may not be surprised by this information. But I have no idea that buildings could be hacked. Or, I mean, I guess it kind of makes sense when you think about it, but I never really thought about it in that sense. And now here we are, and I'm going to give you some information on it. So you're all really very lucky that we're doing an episode and I'm taking part in it right now. As you may recall, I'm enlightening you today on the hacking and attacking of power plants, or how Taylor put it, war, war things, kind of. I'll, I'll give you some clarification along the way as well. I feel like if I was an evil villain, I'm not, by the way, in case anyone got any wrong ideas, but if I was, yeah, evil villain, anti-hero, either one. I'm not, like, opposed to either one at this point. I'm just not that. But if I was, I would probably go for a flower plant if I wanted to make a statement. I, like, actually, if I really think about it, I'd probably go for the Norway Spiral beam that up into the sky but i thought that would be your weapon yeah but i'm not sure that that did anything to be honest after watching yeah i'd probably just go with power plants i mean i can't really think of anything else that would cause like a lot of damage and i'm not gonna think of anything now that i'm thinking about it right now because i can't be put on the spot about things okay now that that's out of the way logically since i knew nothing about this subject i started with why power plants are important to us so now I'm equipped to tell you. So we like energy, right? I know I do. I like the light it provides, the ability to let me go outside and make it feel like I'm inside because I live in Canada. The coldness it provides to my foods and my wines, the ability to cook those foods, go on vacations, drive in cars to go to the grocery or anywhere I want, buy delicious foods, that were delivered to the store, that I keep cold in the fridge, and just basically everything that entails the way I live my life is all thanks to energy. And you can obviously go on and on about why I like energy and the things that power plants provide. It's just nice to live this way. I personally like that it both provides the power for us to freeze ice and yes. to heat water to a boiling state. So hot, in fact, that we then have to put the ice that we created inside it. Yeah, we can change the states of things to suit our needs at that time. It's a luxury. Power plants basically harness various forms of energy and make it useful for us humans to fancify life. The type of energy harnessed will vary and can include nuclear, hydroelectric, coal, diesel, natural gas, geothermal, gas-fired, solar, wind, tidal force, etc. And some of these power plants are harnessing dangerous things. And I'm looking at you, nuclear power. I don't know why. I mean, I know why, but I don't know why we chose nuclear. We chose nuclear and we went with the more dangerous thing because we could turn it into weapons instead of thorium, which is the safer yeah. option. So. I mean, n none of nuclear is like safe, even when it comes to power plants, really. It's not 100% fail safe. Some power plants are going to be a larger concern than others. Obviously, houses with a solar panel on top of it probably are not going to be as big as of a concern as a power plant like the Palo Verde nuclear power plant, the largest in the U.S., which produced over 3 gigawatts of Arizona's total power capacity. It supplies electricity as well to Phoenix and Tucson, as well as San Diego and Los Angeles. So this thing provides quite a bit of power from nuclear things. It's such a critical piece of infrastructure that during the Iraq war in 2003, National Guard troops were deployed to the plant to defend against possible terrorist threats. And during regular times, it is just protected by mall security. Just kidding. They have their own armed security guards, but whether or not they're better than mall security is up for debate. By me, not officially, so don't hate on them because I said something because I don't know for sure. <laughs> 
Whoops. <laughs> That's just one example. I mean, tons of these nuclear power plants are huge. Not only that, but you look at the Hoover Dam that provides all the power for Nevada. Nevada, California, Arizona. It's like it's a big swath, actually. Yeah, it's huge. There's huge power plants. So now that we know how important power plants are to our comfy lives, I hope you realized it. We can probably imagine that a hack or an attack or something as significant of one of these on something as significant as one of these big power plants would have a huge impact. Don't believe me? Let's talk about it. I know. In the big picture, a disruption of energy production at one of the power plants, depending on what exactly goes down, of course, at the power plant, would potentially impact all aspects of society from healthcare to national security. The impacts would include transportation, buses, trains, subways, streetlights, air truck, not buses, sorry. <laughs> well, it's still for some of them. There are some electric buses. Yeah, the ones on the ones on the line. Yeah, air traffic will be at a slow or stopped, emergency services, hospitals will be forced to use backup power, police and fire department responses will be longer, public utilities including water, gas and sewer services will be interrupted, eventually causing health problems. Industrial things, which include manufacturing, will largely stop until power is restored, unless the plant has its own generating facility. In addition, losses may occur in sensitive processes such as steel manufacturing because of the sudden power loss. And as well, telecommunications. The loss of power will interrupt computer operations, which can result in loss of data and other damage. Depending on the availability of emergency power, telecommunications will also be affected. So eliminating a country's or an area of a country's energy is apparently a powerful weapon. And there are many things that I had no idea that are of great concern to these power plants operation. Yeah, in this research, it actually blew my mind that we actually have the electricity capability that we do to this day. Mm -hmm. There's so many things. You really take advantage of the way that you live your life until you start realizing everything that you do on a day-to-day -day basis that requires a power plant. Like, there's other than batteries, everything else that I have that requires electricity is... What do I use batteries for? The remote control, which controls something that's on the power grid. To even use a thing with batteries, somebody needs to charge the batteries. Like, it's pretty, like, I would be lost without electricity. I mean, you have no power for an hour if the power goes out and I'm lost still. I don't even know what to do. Yeah, nobody knows. I mean, I just hope that I still have my phone charged so I can go on, like, the internet. But I know. What do you want to do? Sit with your thoughts or talk with your loved ones? I know. <laughs> no, nobody wants to do that. Gross. That sounds like an awful way to spend one's time. Was a human being? You. Yeah. <laughs> So I want to preface everything I'm going to talk about with this. Not that I haven't already been talking, but the next part. Most buildings, including power plants, are built to withstand regular weather events, so don't freak out too much yet until we're done this episode. It's also that regular weather events mean something different in the future. Yeah. And we've talked about that on previous episodes, but I can't source them right now because I can't remember. So go back to episode one listen to all those and then you'll be it's the first like seven i don't think it's gonna show up there no just go back to start skip the first couple that's fine yeah. started episode about three you'll be then meet us back here and you'll be up to date we'll still be here too yeah extreme weather events with an asterisk as, as we knew them to be and i can't say it's even as we know them because we're currently seeing our weather events changing as we modeled in the 80s yeah i would say that's accurate i would yeah. say that's completely accurate because what we're seeing is not normal and our infrastructure is not up to date to what we're dealing with now so to continue what else it's built to withstand weather events from the 80s that's completely accurate i'm gonna go with that mistakes regular wear and tear and so on that do not account for extreme events. So as I just said, as we just said. Is that when the events show up riding skateboards and have mohawks? Yeah. Oh, they're not equipped for that at all. Yeah. Okay. That's scary. That's Sorry, scary I'm just, I'm just trying to think of what like an 80s radical weather event or an extreme weather event <laughs> look like, and that's just how I picture it. Yeah, that is exactly. And they're smoking the marijuanas. 
we're going to be talking about extreme weather events, which let's include today, starting today forward. Another thing I'd like to point out is that while all power plants are valid power plants, plants of power containing power, a lot of my focus will be on nuclear power plants because you're, you're going to see, I'm going to start talking about it and then you'll be like, okay, that's why we're focusing on nuclear power. So let's do it. So I rolled the dice and I'm going to start with drones. Innocent enough. Seems as good as a place to start as any. We've done an episode that included drones before, so you already kind of know what we're going to talk about. Not really. I talk about none of that stuff. This is a new drone episode. <laughs> <laughs> so let me regale you with an example in which a drone was used for evil. September 2019, comma. Drones were used to attack the world's largest crude processing facility in Abcake. I meant to research how to say this, but I didn't. I'm sorry. Abcake, Saudi Arabia in the Quraysh facility. This attack was led by the Houthi movement in Yemen in relation to the Saudi intervention in the Yemen civil war. And they used 25 drones and missiles in two waves of attacks. Overall, there were 19 individual strikes, 14 that punctured storage tanks, three that disabled oil processing trains, and two more that damaged other things that were not equipment. So they're miscellaneous. These attacks caused large fires that burned for several hours and obviously destroyed things because I just gave you a list of everything they destroyed, except for miscellaneous. The attack shut down both facilities for repair, cutting Saudi Arabia's oil production by half, which equates to about 5.7 million barrels of oil per day that were lost and about 5% of global production, which is huge. I mean, I wouldn't say lost. The oil's still there. It's just they couldn't send it somewhere. Well, exactly. It just production was, was lost. The oil was lost, lost to the production over that period of time. And that caused destabilization of global financial markets and the facility took about three weeks to start to reach similar production levels again. It didn't reach 100% at that time. I can take a breath here. That's not a breath. I thought you were going to say something. So I took advantage of it. So I will continue. This one in particular isn't nuclear power. I prefaced everything by saying nuclear power will be talked about a lot. But this one's crude processing facility. This particular event was the single biggest disruption on record of oil, even bigger than the there was one during the Gulf War that happened. And this was the single biggest disruption. And that's the end of that example. So I will give you another one because I know you want more examples. We all love an example. The other example is much less of a physical attack, however, still drone related and also a mysterious concern. I love mysterious concerns because there's no answer. And I just wanted to highlight kind of everything that drones are doing. They're attacking the crude oil site. And the second one is um, since drones have come onto the scene, I guess they've been presented many more things to be concerned about than I ever would have thought possible, but that's just me living my life not thinking about drones. I don't have a drone, they don't personally affect my life any, and that's just it. I live a drone-free life. Obviously, another concern other than launching physical attacks by drones is when they go into restricted airspace as we learned about in Air Kings and Paranormal Things. However, also a concern when flying around restricted areas not in the air, which is mostly where power plants occupy space. I'll give you another very specific example. I keep telling you I give, I'm going to give you another example and not giving it to you. I'm sorry. Um, this time, several drones flew around the restricted area of Palo Verde nuclear power plant in Arizona on two successive nights in September 2020. Security guards watched helplessly as these drones flew around the plant at about two to 300 feet for about 80 minutes doing whatever they're doing and disappearing out into the night. Pretty much the same scenario takes place when they return the next night. The security guards estimated the drones were two plus feet in diameter, which means they weren't just normal everyday drones. 
these drones had a much higher flight endurance. They were there for 80 minutes. So it had to be something more like the Lockheed Martin Indigo, Indago, a military grade quadcopter recently sold to the Swiss Army, which has a flight endurance of about 70 minutes and is more than two feet across. At several thousand dollars a piece minimum, these are far less expendable than consumer drones costing a few hundred. Of course, local police were dispatched, however, not able to track down any operators. WTF were they up to? The most obvious answer is that the drones were gathering intelligence using cameras and such. They must have been. Nobody knows for sure. But drones can use different technologies to make 3D replicas of what they're looking at, and the process would require much longer than a straightforward flyover, which may explain why they were there for so long. All in all, no one has any idea what they were doing there. They fled off into the night, and no one's seen them again after that second encounter. But based on the information I just gave you, it may suggest that the intruders may now have highly detailed maps of the facility showing the exact locations of every valve, pipe, switch, and control. But who's to say? Because no one knows. What is being done about this, you ask? Not much, because no one figures drones themselves can do a whole lot of physical damage even after that physical attack where they, like, attack things and destroyed buildings. The site itself received drone detection gear, which the security guards did actually do in the first place. They did detect them. <laughs> but a decision That's was made. Good. Yeah, they did They did their job. They're like, <laughs> look at that. And yeah. He wants to stop the drones too. That's a different thing. Yeah, they didn't do that. But they did say, <laughs> they did identify the drone <laughs> in a space it shouldn't have been. A decision was made by the MRC, not sure who that is, but they seem important making this decision that drones just ain't that big of a threat. Maybe it's not that concerning because no one knows what happened, really. And with that, we say that vaguely and we will not say anymore. Another form of physical threat against the power plants is electromagnetic pulse attack, which is also affectionately known as an EMP attack be that from mother nature herself in the form of a burst from the sun or the all-threatening human type in the form of a nuclear detonation. I had no idea there were so many options for EMP attack and just in case you are not aware, yes you listening, an EMP is a high intensity surge of energy that can disrupt or destroy electronics by essentially overloading them. So to continue, a high altitude nuclear detonation, depending on the height it's detonated, could take out the whole of the United States and then some. It's pretty crazy. That higher up it is, it could take out the whole of the United States plus some of Mexico plus some of Canada. It's crazy. For either EMP attack, I use the word attack loosely for an EMP released from the sun, but I guess the sun could also attack us in its own way. The effects would be the same, being that it would more than likely result in a shutdown of the electrical grid. And while for most power plants, a shutdown would suck because we lose power, like we were just talking about at the beginning, like it would really suck to not be able to watch TV or like microwave some popcorn this would affect our way of life and for other types of power plants one in particular it causes a bit more concern than just how we live life itself that being the nuclear power plant where an unscheduled shutdown and a prolonged shutdown could result in a meltdown that is if all engineered and proceduralized mitigation measures failed it could result in a radioactive plume the effects of which are unknown because it's just not studied. But what they do know is that this can cause deaths from radioactive contamination, causing inability to find food and clean water and elevated lifetime risk of cancer. So what I mean by it's just not studied is they actually don't try to figure out what would happen in the instance something like this would happen, something in the extreme like we were talking about earlier in the episode. Yeah, yeah, scientists deemed it too depressing. Yeah, other than in instances where this has happened is where they get what could happen, like in Chernobyl or in Japan during the tsunami. Yeah. Or Three Mile Island. Yeah, they just don't feel the need to see what would happen if 
this happened. I think they prefer to just see if it happened, then we deal with it, really. At the very least, if the population surrounding a power plant were required to be evacuated, depending on the population density of the area, a large amount of people could be forced to evacuate the area in a hurry. A 2011 analysis by Nature and Columbia University shows that some 21 nuclear power plants have populations larger than 1 million within a 30-kilometer radius, and six plants have populations greater than 3 million within that radius. That's a funny year to be doing nuclear meltdown analyses. Why? What happened in that year? Off the coast of Japan. Oh, really? That's the year that happened? March 11th, 2011. <laughs> Good job. I can't believe you know that. I guess that's where they get all their research from, when something <laughs> like this happens. In the United States, where I could find most of the information, not a lot of research has been done. I guess I just said that I'm repeating myself again. I do that sometimes, if you've ever listened to me talking on a podcast. In regards to the threat, and while nuclear meltdown is a risk, there's a whole lot of can't someone else do it, and passing it off to a different department where they say this department should be looking after it, and they don't think they should be looking after it, so they pass it off to someone else. So, I paraphrased with Can't Someone Else Do It, made famous by The Simpsons. Can't someone else do it? Can't someone else do it? That's perfect! From a report released by the federal government in the United States. Basically, it says we have no idea what will happen, people maybe will die, and there's been no studies or safeguards taken to prevent this from happening, which I guess could be a threat in and of itself that you're not prepared for it. Just so you're aware of the numbers here, in Canada, we have six nuclear power plants, 88 in the United States, two in Mexico, and I was taken aback by this one, 103 in Europe. Oh yeah, most of them are in France and Germany. Yeah, it's crazy. France actually is very ahead of the green game because their green plan is nuclear energy. Really? And they're doing quite well on it, yeah. The argument for nuclear energy I find quite funny. And it's better than oil for the environment. Yeah. Depending on how you want to define that. Uh, true, I guess. In response to this report, Donald Trump did sign an executive order in 2019 directing federal agencies to identify the threats posed by potential electromagnetic pulses. EMP if you forgot or couldn't think fast on your feet, which are believed to be potentially dangerous to critical infrastructure like the electric grid. Did they really use the term believe? I don't know. It's not a direct quote, so this is probably me. I do put quotes when it's actually somebody talking, so it's okay. probably me. But it's just a belief that they would be a threat, not this is a threat. Like, yeah. Could be a threat, maybe. Maybe. It could I believe be. it. Well, I don't know. I think they could use that. It could potentially be dangerous to critical infrastructure like the electric grid and to find ways to guard against them. But guess what? It does not include nuclear as it is believed the actual damage from an EMP would be low. Also, an EMP would be unlikely to knock out nuclear submarines across the world in the case of an attack, so the threat for retaliation is still there, so they think people would not do that. As well, they... this. I didn't put this information in because I didn't understand what they were saying. Essentially, they think that nuclear power plants are protected against DMPs through safeguards, through like their electricity, like there's breakers and stuff like that. That's just me making it up right now. Obviously, I know nothing about electricity to a nuclear power plant. And nuclear power plants are supposed to have many fail-safes, and I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. Yeah, I mean, they put it all in this article, but I wasn't about to read them. I didn't even understand what they were saying. But essentially, they're saying, yeah, we're protected against DMPs. I don't know about that, to be honest with you, but I'm no expert in nuclear power plants and their protections. So. And it kind of sounds like they're not into their... Uh, doomsday device type stuff yeah so it sounds like they don't want to do the math on that either. they really don't want to do the math on it so i also feel like they're just being like eh, it's fine we'll deal with it when it happens yes and just so that we are all on the same page homer simpson did get a job as a safety supervisor at a nuclear power plant so that's who's yeah. in charge yeah, i was and just gonna say that's, that's who's the in charge yeah. It is a documentary. It's based on real life events. 
I actually, I don't think it is a documentary anymore because Homer has a high school diploma and a stay-at-home wife and three children and he lives in a beautiful suburban home. Yeah, well, no yeah, it was a documentary of the 90s. True. Goals we should all try to achieve. Exactly. We cannot any longer. We're out of the 90s. Yeah. That is so unachievable. It's not even funny. So that's EMP attack. I hope we don't have any questions other than Taylor. Taylor can ask them. Nobody else really can. Oh, you're really putting me on the spot here for a lot of people. Yeah. Who's the biggest threat for an EMP attack? The sun. Okay. That's a fair answer, actually. <laughs> Nobody can ever tell what that bastard's up to. Yeah. So cut to a clip of the sun, like, doing the squinty, like, shifty Sunglasses. Eyes. <laughs> yeah. Playing the poker face. Yeah. <laughs> um... So oh, yeah, literally anybody doesn't even need that high of technology of rockets to, to get something up to a point where it can do an EMP blast. Yeah, I don't think it's really hard. No, and something that also, it doesn't really apply just to the power plant, so you probably didn't look at it. But when a nuclear explosion happens, it also does give off radiation. And when you do it that high in mm -hmm. the air, it's going to disperse that radiation everywhere. No, that is a good point and I'm surprised that didn't come up one single place when I was doing this because that raises the cancer levels too. Yeah and that's mostly because the US was doing it for like 40 years and didn't really want to tell people that so. To be fair everybody was. You heard it here folks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the original like nuclear test area for Bikini Atoll, which is like just off, not just off, but off the coast of Hawaii, where they detonated their first ones in the water. They've mm -hmm. kind of been fucking over the entire inhabitants there who are dying of cancer at an extremely high rate, and the U.S. isn't paying them compensation anymore. An episode oh itself that we could do at a later date, but yeah, it's it's pretty. Awesome. Yeah, that wouldn't be bad. When I re-listen to this when it comes out, I will definitely write that down. As with our other idea that we brought up in this episode that I already forgot about. It'll get there. It's not on the list. It'll get there. This episode kind of adds to itself as I go through each thing I have relating things. You'll get it. You'll get it. I'll just continue. Up next is terrorist threat. Not only did the 9-11 Commission find that nuclear power plants were potential targets originally considered for the 2001 attacks, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission has also recently requested direct access to criminal databases and foreign travel history, among other safeguards, after a suspected Al-Qaeda member was found to have worked at six nuclear power plants in the U.S. over six years. guy really couldn't hold down a job. No, he couldn't. I thought that too. It was like a year of plays too. Sometimes not even a year. It really sounds like he was scoping out the places. Yeah, it does. Like, not even inconspicuously too. When you're like the fifth or like sixth nuclear facility hiring this guy, do you not wonder about that? <laughs> yeah, it's like, can I get a reference? It's like, yeah, it's just this nuclear power plant I worked if at. If you don't like... talk to them, I can talk to that guy. If you don't like them, you can talk to that guy. They all run nuclear power plants, don't worry. Mm -hmm. This other nuclear power plant, according to a 2004 report by the U.S. Congressional Budget Office, the human, environmental, and economic costs from a successful attack on a nuclear power plant that results in the release of substantial quantities of radioactive material to the environment could be great. An attack would be that committed by an individual unlawfully and intentionally using radioactive material in any way with the intent to cause death or serious bodily harm and or to cause substantial damage to property and or environment or with the attempt to compel a natural or legal person an international organization or a state to do or refrain from doing an act. This could include the sabotage of a nuclear facility from the inside and or the detonation of a radioactive device, also known as a dirty bomb. Fuel rods have been known to go missing, and by missing I mean stolen from power plants. Not just like paranormal up and vanished, I thought I left that here and a leprechaun took it and put it back somewhere else, like behind the couch totally different scenario. Material may be stolen from nuclear plants to promote the spread of nuclear weapons. Many terrorist groups are eager to acquire material needed to make dirty bombs. An attack on a reactor's spent fuel pool could also be serious, as these pools are less protected than the reactor core. 
The release of radioactivity could lead to thousands of near-term deaths and greater numbers of long-term fatalities. I don't know what a spent fuel pool is or a reactor core. Well, the reactor core is where the actual energy is created. The spent fuel pool is where basically you would hold all the water after it's done being used. If it leaks out, like the used yeah. water, it's highly radiated. It would not only leak out, oh it would gosh. get into the entire water supply of the area. The water. You say this and I'm just like, that seems like such a great yeah. idea to make energy for ourselves. We don't need water. Yeah, exactly. With all that being said, designs of power plants have features for safety. But like I said in a previous point I was making, these safety features have been designed in response to accidents, not deliberate acts of people like stealing things or attacking the inside of a plant. Here are some examples. I love a good example. Love examples. 1966, 20 natural uranium fuel rods were stolen from the Bradwell Nuclear Power Station in England. 2016, a security officer who worked for a nuclear power plant was murdered and his pass was stolen. If you look at that story, that's like pretty much all they have on it. They know nothing was stolen. They have no idea who did it. And that's as far as the investigation got. It's amazing. Like you look at nuclear power and people are just kind of like, <laughs> I don't know. But like you watch the news and there's something much less important happening. Yeah. And you have all of the information. But when it comes to nuclear power, everyone's just yeah, kind of like, I don't know. I don't want to think about it and it's pretty much just gonna go away and we don't have to deal with any of the ramifications of what could possibly happen. Going back in time, 1975, the Kerr-McGee plutonium plant had thousands of dollars worth of plant, pl pl plutonium. It actually auto-corrected to platinum, but I know it's supposed to be plutonium. That's brain. Stolen and taken home by workers. Why? Don't know. Wanted to show off this glowy rock to his family. Yeah. Have you never seen uranium glass? No. Okay, Explain yeah. it in as much detail as you can. It's like it's like China of all sorts, and basically you could put them under black lights, and they would glow like a very radioactive green. From what year was this? This would be like the fifties and the forties. You could get these. The golden era. And like you can still find them today. Yeah, it's just like a different era where people put uranium and shit because it made it glow. Yeah, it looked nice look nice of course and you know glowing is fancy yeah the fancy okay so more examples 1972 three hijackers took control of a domestic passenger flight along the east coast of the u.s and threatened to crash the plane into the u.s nuclear weapons plant in oak ridge tennessee there have been 18 incidences of theft or loss of highly enriched uranium and plutonium confirmed by the iaea which has nothing to do with a hijacked plane flying towards a nuclear weapon plant but here you have it february 2006 Oleg Kiznikov of Russia was arrested in Georgia along with three Georgian accomplices and convicted of attempting to smuggle 79.5 grams of 89% enriched HEU from the breakaway Republic of South Ossetia. 2006, M15 warned that Al-Qaeda were planning on using nuclear weapons against cities in the United Kingdom by obtaining the bombs via clandestine means. So there you have it. These are some terrorist threats that we should all be aware of, that we should be afraid of. Next is military threat. Very short on this one. Apparently during times of military, yes? Just to add a little bit mm -hmm. too. I should have asked. When the Soviet Union kind of collapsed in the late 80s, early 90s, I guarantee you they don't know what happened to all the nuclear materials there. Oh. Something that's kind of forgotten about a lot. Yeah, that is, even by me doing research on this. I didn't even see that. But again, it's like nuclear, like better not bring it up because it's just going to cause more problems if people don't, if people know, we don't know where it went. Yeah, because it's great when it's smooth sailing. Yeah. Next point is military threat. So apparently during times of military conflict, power plants, especially nuclear reactors, have been attacked during military airstrikes occupation, invasions, and campaigns. And you can see evidence of that right now. That's literally my next sentence. Okay, go ahead, go ahead. That You just literally said it. We can see evidence of it right now with Chernobyl. The United States Air Force even is a longtime fan of attacking electrical power systems for four reasons. 
to cause a decline in civilian morale, to inflict costs on the political leaders to induce a change, to hamper military operations, and to hinder war protection. There are tons of examples, but just take my word for it, in the interest of keeping one of these short and sweet, I chose military threat. Yeah. Any others to add on that one? No, I don't think so. Okay. I only ask when you forget. Okay. <laughs> you do. Or when I don't know. Or specifically didn't research something. Next is insider threat, which kind of goes with some other ones. Like I said, these kind of all tie into each other a little bit. Not a threat to be overlooked, for these workers would have already been screened for clearance, like we saw with that worker who worked at six nuclear power plants. They're like, yeah, you're really qualified to work at a nuclear power plant. They didn't even have to do the background check because he got into the last five. Yeah, you're already in, my friend. But also because insiders can observe and work around security measures that they're already familiar with. Sabotage by workers have happened at many reactors in the United States, as is apparently quite common-ish here. And here is one in particular. A fire caused $5 to $10 million worth of damage in New York's Indian Point Energy Center in 1971. The arsonist turned out to be a plant maintenance worker. There's the threat of insiders, and it ties in, like I said, to other ones, so I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this. Probably more than just threat, it could be incompetence of insiders too. Exactly. I think from everything that I've read, they account for just not being good at your job, making a mistake and stuff like that. The big threat overall to everything is intentional harm. Not that people who don't know how to do their jobs aren't a threat, but people who are deliberately trying to do harm just generally I think can cause more harm. That's fair. I guess. That's now that fair. I'm saying it out loud, though, I think like someone not good at their job could also cause harm. Can genuinely Especially fuck when up working with nuclear power. Again, I would just reference The Simpsons. Uh, so would that I. That's all I'm thinking of in this. Down. Yeah. Yeah. Last thread I'm going to talk about in regards to our beloved power plants now. I know we've all come to love them. As with most everything in our lives, everything has now become digital. And the threat is not fake news on this one, even though we hear that that is public enemy number one now. It is cyber attacks. Of course, our grandparents all have training on how to not be taken in by these scammers. But power plants have not. These cyber attacks in all seriousness have been on the rise, what with the technological advances and all. Cyber attacking is a tad more convert after all than trying to get access physically into a nuclear power plant. I mean, you're not going to see someone really. What's more obvious? And I don't know, I shouldn't be saying this. What's more obvious? Hacking into an electrical system or flying a drone into the power plant? To me, it's the drone. It's physically there. Well, and even hacking isn't necessarily like um, being far away and doing it. It can be as simple as like dropping flash drives in the parking lot for people to like plug in inside the facility. To oh, see what true. Do. Yeah, like it's so much more covert to um, be able to do that. The FBI actually did a test for that to see how secure their like really? computers were. And they just dropped in their parking lot a bunch of USB drives and like eight of them got plugged in inside. <laughs> Curiosity killed the cat. It is like a true statement. That is so funny yeah. though. <laughs> I like that. I may make it seem like this is all very easy to break into, but they do have very high security fences around nuclear power plants if you're worried about someone breaking into one. Cyber attacks on nuclear power plants could have physical effects, especially if the network that runs the machines and software controlling the nuclear reactor are compromised. This can be used to facilitate sabotage theft of nuclear materials, or in worst case scenario, a reactor meltdown. The Idaho National Laboratory ran the Aurora experiment in 2007 to demonstrate how a cyber attack could destroy physical components of the electrical grid. The experiments used a computer program to rapidly open and close a diesel generator security breaker out of phase from the rest of the grid to explode. This vulnerability is referred to as the Aurora vulnerability. Now, let's jump right into an example of examples. 2018, Trump accuses Russia of engineering a series of cyber attacks that targeted American and European nuclear power plants and water and electric systems. What's with the Russians and the nuclear stuff? Yeah. Why are they- This one that? actually, like, 
makes what's happening very real right now because nobody's thinking of this component. Russian hackers made their way to machines with access to critical control systems at power plants, not identified, which could have sabotaged or shut power plants off at will. They didn't do it that time. U.S. officials saw the attacks as a signal by Moscow that it could disrupt the West critical facilities in the event of a conflict. Try not to think of this in today's terms, but rather 2018 terms. I'm sorry to do this to you because it's, yeah, it's it's something to be aware of right now, I guess. But just imagine your life as pre-COVID, as yeah. it was in 2018. That, that was what a nice that? time. That was a nice time. And now we're here. <laughs> Eric Chien, a security technology director at Symantec, a digital security firm, said, We now have the evidence they're sitting on the machines, connected to industrial control infrastructure that allowed them to effectively turn the power off or affect sabotage. In a report released shortly after by Symantec, a security firm, as I just said, if you forgot, it is stated that the Russia hacking unit appears to be interested in both learning how energy facilities operate and also gaining access to operational systems themselves. To that extent, that the group now potentially has the ability to sabotage or gain control of these systems should it decide to do so. By 2013, researchers had tied the Russian hackers to hundreds of attacks on the energy grid and oil and gas pipeline operators in the United States and Europe. So let's move to the United States. United States, they did something that was called Nitro Zeus, which bored deeply into Iran's infrastructure before the 2015 nuclear accord, placing digital implants and systems that would enable it to bring down the power grid, command and control systems, and other infrastructure in case a conflict broke out. The operation was codenamed Nitro Zeus, as I just said, and its revelation made clear that getting into the critical infrastructure of adversaries is now a standard element of preparing for possible conflict. Nitro Zeus came after Stuxnet, which was a computer worm discovered in June 2010 that is believed to have been created by the United States and Israel to attack Iran's nuclear facilities. It switched off safety devices causing centrifuges to spin out of control. Stuxnet initially spreads via Microsoft Windows and targets Siemens industrial control systems. While it is not the first time that hackers have targeted industrial systems, it was the first discovered malware that spies on and subverts industrial systems and the first to include programmable logic controller. That was a mouthful. There were a lot of words going on in that sentence. There was. You can completely take that out if you want. No, that's okay. Yeah, basically they're just fucking with Iran's nuclear uh, facilities. The real point I was trying to make with that United States one is that they they basically say that it's a standard element of preparing for possible conflict now at this point is to break into their power plants. So there are many, many examples of cyber attack threat. I will leave you with one last example and then I'll be done talking so much. Let's head to India for a change where you'll hear me pronounce some fun words. Kudan Kulam nuclear plant, AKA KKNPP, Tamil Nadu, India in September, 2019. This is the biggest power plant in India. Here is the first official statement from India. And other Indian nuclear power plants control systems are standalone and not connected to outside cyber network and internet. Any cyber attacks on the nuclear power plant control system is not possible. And boy were they wrong because it happened. It didn't do a whole lot of damage though. It's just showing what their statement is because they said it was not possible to hack their system because they did not run on the internet. So yeah, they were the Titanic getting ready for their first voyage. Yeah, pretty much. So because someone hooked up, this relates to your, like they found like a thing in the parking lot and hooked yeah. it up. <laughs> Even though this is not so funny because this is like literally someone's laptop where they do their work. They just took their infected laptop and hooked it into the plant's administrative network and that was it. It didn't do anything 
any major damage, but it's, it really just proves there's no fail safes when it comes to cybersecurity, and it will not prevent an isolated attack as you will need to introduce new data to update software and such. You can't run on Windows 99 forever. They stop helping you after a certain time and you eventually just need to update it. Eventually, you can't just run it forever. You're gonna have problems. The point is targeted attacks, which have come up a few times, are the more concerning threat. So witting or unwitting humans or a long and difficult to defend supply train to deliver the attack. Hold on. Targeted attacks, which I'm sure are the more concerning threat, will leverage witting or unwitting humans or a long and difficult to defend supply chain to deliver the attack. Just another thing to think about when it comes to all of this. I've tried to highlight really all the different aspects to what could happen and the areas of concern. Protecting the power generating infrastructure from this danger entails implementing advanced security methods and strengthening those already in place. Closing thoughts on my part, I have found in my research that nothing is very preventative. I've already said this, I just want to reiterate it. Basically, I'm saying nothing is very preventative at all. It's just, you know, being like, I don't know, and then when something happens, then they deal with it. I think just because of the threat of what a nuclear anything would entail, they just don't want to deal with it, whether it be someone stealing from a nuclear power plant or EMP attacks or anything. They're just kind of like, yeah, we don't want to deal with it. That will conclude our talks on the power generation portion of Shit's Fuck T.O. And tune in next week where we'll be talking about the transportation portion of it. Because the power has to get to places, and that is vulnerable, too. Yeah. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week. Thank you. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to Journey to the Fringe. If you have liked what you have listened to, please like, share, subscribe, or follow, depending on what venue you are listening to us through. Also, please, if possible, leave a five-star review as that really helps us in the algorithms. Should you wish to interact with us, please check us out on your social media of choice. I bet you we are there. And if you really want to communicate with us and give us ideas for new episodes or tell us that we're wrong and terrible, either way, please send us an email at journeytothefringe at gmail.com. For now, I'll see you in the next episode.